Welcome to the 30th episode of the Cranky Flyer interview. Today I'm talking to Charles Duncan, president of Norse Atlantic Airways, which I'd consider to be the long-haul successor to Norwegian's failed attempts pre-pandemic. Charles has only recently stepped into the job, and he'll be the first to tell you this is no Norwegian 2.0. But don't take my word for it. Let's dive right in. So, all right, so Charles, so your background is primarily Continental into United, um, and then you made the leap to WestJet, uh, and you were there for a couple of years, and now you are head honcho here at Norse Atlantic. So I guess maybe a good place to start would be at WestJet, thinking about what's next for you, and, and how you sort of ended up in the Norse Atlantic role. Sure. Yeah. So maybe just just to clarify one thing, I mean, I'm serving as president of Norse. We still have a CEO who's our founder. Sorry. And, uh, yeah. No. No. No worries. But uh, you know, and ultimately, I mean, you know, he, he's looking to me, and it's been a ton of fun, uh, honestly. But uh, just to run the day to day, you know. So I'm reporting to him, and he's still out and active, and uh, you know, helping us at strategy, and uh, very still much very very much engaged in the business. But uh, uh, yeah, technically number two, and uh, but running the day to day, and and uh, it's it's been fun, but. Um, yeah, for me, I spent five years with WestJet, Brett, and uh, um, had a blast up there. I mean, it's you know, great business, and certainly, I mean, I you know, I, you know, I remember some of your blogs around complexity and you know, various things of the WestJet model, which we probably don't have time for today. To, to <laughs> well, we can make time if you want. <laughs> no, let's let's stay focused. <laughs> Look, you know, spent five years up there. I did three different jobs at WestJet. I was hired to be president of Encore, you know, the regional carrier. And then uh, when uh, when we had a CEO change from Greg Suretsky to Ed Sims, Ed asked me to do corporate strategy and uh, um, did that um, up until COVID. And the strategy role was actually a lot of fun. Um, we, we had a, a profit transformation program. We were looking at M&A and I actually kicked off then what became the Sunwing acquisition, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, studying the market and so forth and opportunities. And then when COVID happened, um, I kept the strategy role that was slimmed down and I took on cargo and uh, swoop and I was president of swoop for two years. So, um, so I, of my five years in Canada, half of it was non COVID and half was COVID influenced. And as you well know, and, and uh, <laughs> you experience with your you know, plane train and automobile trip, uh, uh, you know, COVID was, much uh, it had a much bigger impact in Canada, you know, due to government policy in terms of impact on the airline, right? So, um, and for me personally, uh, my family had a tough time. I've got two boys. Um, school sports were canceled for more than a year. Uh, gyms were closed, and so my 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 kids. I've got two teenage boys. Um, my older one in particular was just desperate to get out of Canada, and he actually moved to the states to um, resume his basketball, you know, playing, you know, um, and so that was sort of a like a, a, a domino, if you will, uh, the, the first domino. And um, he moved in with my parents. Uh, my son did, and uh, and that went so well that then the, my younger son wanted to join his brother. My wife is saying, "Why are we up here minus thirty Calgary?" <laughs> you know, and. Uh, so one thing led to another. So we actually made a decision as a family to relocate to the States, uh, back to Virginia Beach, which is my hometown, um, at the start of the school year last year. So, uh, yeah, so just personal, co- we've all been touched by COVID and that was what got me there. And then I ultimately met, met up with, with Norse late last fall and uh, it's an exciting opportunity. And so I was just really, you know, uh, really happy to jump on and, uh, and, and give low cost long haul a shot. <laughs> Uh, right. So low cost long haul does not have a good, uh, record. <laughs> there is, uh, 
we, we've yet to actually see it proven successful, I would argue. Uh, and at the same time, Norse is effectively Norwegian long haul 2.0, right? Uh, at least in Genesis. Um, yeah, I mean, look, yeah. So, I mean, let's unpack both of those. I mean, look, I think um, I completely agree uh, that uh, we have yet to see low cost long haul be successful. You know, and in fact, in my, in my first meeting with the leadership team, I walked them through, you know, from my point of view, the, you know, the, the, a long history, you know, and it was not comprehensive of all those who've come before us. And I would start with Freddie Laker and, you know, uh, and, and, and go on, you know, from there. So um, I, I do think, and the reason I signed on, uh, I mean, I wouldn't have joined if I weren't optimistic. We've got the building blocks to make this successful. And I'm happy to unpack that more. But I mean, you know, like part of it, I mean, a, a big component is is focused on 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 cost. Uh, and and I believe like I'm, I'm certain um, that we will be the lowest unit cost producer on the transatlantic, um, you know, kind of first and foremost. And that's through a whole host of, of different you know actions we're taking to be to be low cost and and uh, and then also just keeping the model simple you know single fleet type and uh, you know going after big large markets that that you know are, are pre existing and um, I, I feel good about our chances for success not you know I mean you know no one's done it before and so I'm certainly eyes open to um, uh, you know the risks and challenges in front of us but feel feel actually really good about uh, about our chances so yeah no so. Keeping it simple, that's where you diverge from Norwegian. Uh, that that's was right. quite a complex bundle of, I still don't fully understand what right. they had put together there. Uh, so from this perspective, though, you, you're just taking long haul. I assume you get the 787s for a deal at Norse? Yeah. So, so listen, uh, and, and, and let me just, I wanted to, you know, push back or at least share a perspective on the Norwegian 2.0 or, you know, whatever sort of, you know, phrasing you use there. Um, I mean, look, it is true. I, I mean, it's, we've got 15 787s. They are all ex-Norwegian, you know, but you know, provided by lessor. So the, the aircraft are the same. I mean, you know, Norwegian had more uh, than, than that number. And of course, we're, you know, headquartered in Norway and our name is Norse. Um, but I would argue that's really the you know the end of the the similarities, if you will. I mean, we are you know truly a you know a different company and a you know different founder and and uh, and in fact, uh, Bjorn Tora, um, our our CEO and founder, it's exactly where you hit up on it. I mean, you know, in, in the depths of COVID, um, the aircraft were were being shopped around uh, by lessors, and we got um, amazing economics. Uh, you know, really really low economics in these airplanes. That uh, you know, and, and it's it's very much like when others have done this. You know, uh, Ryanair comes to mind. Just you know, opportunistically, um, you know, uh, acquiring aircraft uh, at, at the right time in the market. So he has done this in shipping and saw a parallel in in the aircraft. Uh, you know, in, in the airline model. Um, but the the thing that I've been quick to say is that uh, in, in all of my experience, I've never seen aircraft ownership through whatever means leasing or owning. Uh, be more than 10% of, of the cost structure, right? So so even if the airplanes are at half, you know, the, the, the cost of, of, of the market rate pre-COVID or today as rates are going up, that's still only a five point or a 5% advantage in your cost base, right? So there's so much more that goes into it, you know, high utilization flying, 
um, you know, uh, you know, e efficiently using crew and, and just doing, you know, really, really being focused on uh, the total cost picture, not just the fleet is what we're, uh, what we're doing. Sure. But five points is, is five points. I mean, that's, that still helps, right? I mean, that it, it, you need cool. everything to get down because you're not, I mean, one of the arguments against low cost long haul is there is no such thing as low cost fuel. That's so right. you've got, and that's such a big yeah, chunk of. You're exactly right. No, I, look, I, I mean, couldn't agree more, right? But I mean, all, all I'm saying is that you can't just take uh, relatively cheap aircraft and and hang your hat on that exclusively as part of the business model. You've got to do everything. Sure. Okay. So you've got 15 airplanes. Well, before you get there, you've got 15 airplanes. Uh, they start flying some pretty thin routes over the Atlantic. Um, you know, Oslo. Th these these seem like maybe more of a stretch, but this is a Norwegian airline. It, it's really just how you have to start, I guess. Um, and now we see moving more into the London's Paris, you know, the, the bigger types of Atlantic markets. Is this more of the path forward for you guys, or is it a mix of both or what, what's the. Yeah. Okay. I, mean, I think it, it absolutely is. I, I think what you saw and, and, and I'm in awe in a positive way, what the team were able to achieve last year. So, um, you know, in, in, in don't have precise dates in mind, but you know, in, in April of, uh, of of 22, we announced a schedule and began flying in June. And and uh, at that point, um, there's still a whole lot of regulatory work to be done. Uh, you know, just getting approvals from both um, the Norwegian side in this case and the U.S. side. And uh, and and so we were somewhat limited in what flying we could do last year. And uh, in my mind, my gosh, I mean, to announce service and begin flying within two months is is heroic effort, right? And uh, and so we got out and you know got it done. Um, successfully flew last summer. Um, but you know, I must say, like when, one of my big observations when I when I first met the Norse team late last fall, early in the winter, um, was there's a whole lot of I mean, you you laid it out, thin markets. But even even more than thin markets, um, a lot of cold to cold flying. Uh, so Berlin, JFK, JFK, Oslo. Um, these are not markets I would expect to do well in November and December, and yet we were flying them. Yeah, you know, and and uh, and so I think, and some of that is is really it's just being pragmatic around traffic rights, but also just not having enough time to sort of sit sit back and really properly plan out our network. And so what you're seeing now for us in the in the coming summer. Um, is going after really big, thick routes. You know, so we will have um, five lines of flying from London Gatwick to seven destinations in the states, and these are all big cities. You know, so we're we're not, uh, you know, it's it's you know Boston, JFK, Dulles, Orlando, uh, Fort Lauderdale, SFO, LA. Um, so going after big, thick routes, um, and uh, but the you know, and and then on the Norwegian AOC, so the non UK side, um, it's you know JFK to um, to Rome, to Paris, uh, you know, doing Berlin as well. And, you know, again, just big, big, thick markets. But the bigger change we'll make, and, and we're, we're um, deep in the planning for it, is the winter of 23, doing a lot more um, sun flying, you know, and, and this is actually, frankly, where my Canadian experience, you know, comes into play as well. Of just, we need to do a lot less cold to cold and pivot the network um, very much in the way that uh, the Canadian carriers do and do a lot more north-south. So think, Think Florida. Think where you are, you know, in Southern California. Think Caribbean. Uh, you know, this is not warm. 
I've been, my winter has been not, not warm. <laughs> but hey, compared to Oslo, it, it, yeah, it, fair know, point. Fair point. Philip is, but but you sort you sort of get the point. Uh, you know, in that sense of just uh, it really is tough uh, because we are a leisure carrier, and, and uh, to, to to stimulate leisure demand between two cold cities outside of maybe a limited uh, Christmas window for VFR travel, it, it, it's tough for us. We're going to be focusing much more on what I would call natural leisure destinations in the, in, in the winter schedule. Which definitely makes more sense. But also we're in sort of a unique post-COVID glow here where demand is limitless, fares are through the roof. It's the kind of opportunity that's great for a, a low-cost operator to come in and skim mm-hmm. um, off the top. It makes sense. But what happens during the next downturn? You know, How, how do you get – I understand you have – or you expect you'll have lower costs, lower unit costs. But what happens during the next downturn when everyone else turns on super cheap fares to fill up the back of the airplane, uh, as they always do? And right. That's that's generally when things start to go south pretty quickly. Yeah. Look, I mean, I mean, you're 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 right, and I'm and I think I mean, you know, our whole team is is uh, alert and aware to that risk. I mean, I, I'd say right now it's just it's one step at a time from a building block point of view. Of we just on February 28th finalized uh, our, our summer schedule. Our goal is that we'll actually be later this month announcing the coming winter schedule, the first steps in that. And by the end of May, we'll get the winter done. I, look, I mean, a downturn is coming. I mean, it, it's a cyclical business. And we're certainly not naive to the fact that it's always going to be a strong, you know, a demand and revenue environment like we're enjoying right now. Um, but uh, you know, we need to get established first. And uh, again, you know, less than one year of flying right now, get prepared, build uh, some you know, name recognition, brand awareness in the markets, um, you know, I think first and foremost. And then, uh, you know, I mean, I come back to if, if we focus on being the lowest cost producer, uh, you know, from a unit cost point of view, I mean, that, that does give us a lot of competitive insulation, uh, you know, in the marketplace. Um, I reflect back on uh, Clive Badeau. Uh, you know, our, our founder at, at WestJet uh, uh, would say in the boardroom quite a bit and, and employees would spout it back uh, that, you know, he with the lowest cost wins, you know, ultimately. And so we've got to be laser focused on cost. And, and, and you're right. I mean, we, we will see uh, competitors, you know, dumping capacity and, and uh, you know, dropping, you know, very, very low fares if they have nowhere else to put the aircraft. But uh, but I think if we stick to big existing large markets, um, focus on our own operation, our own costs, and just ensure that we are lower cost than than, than those guys. Um, I think we'll be best set up, to, you know, for success, you know, in that regard. But uh, but you know, it's it's so, much better. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, there have been other low cost producers. This goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning, right? What you know, low cost long haul has not worked yet. So let, let's get back to as you were saying to unpack that a little and and why this is going to be a different situation than what we've seen elsewhere. Yeah, listen, I mean, we are, and, and this has been actually a lot of fun for me. I I, I, I forget exactly when you started working, uh, or, you know, started your career at America West, but I think it was probably around the same time, you know, when I started at Continental. It was uh, really- 99. <laughs> yeah, so, so I started at Continental in 96. Um, so okay. And, and uh, when I started at 96, we had the go forward plan, Gordon Bethune, Greg Brenneman and so forth. And, and uh, we had what we called the go forward plan. And, and I actually heard a podcast recently where Brenneman was uh, was was even you know, uh, reflecting on it. Um, it was really impactful. Uh, and so I've actually sort of ripped off that that format, which is kind of a strategy on a page, but in four pillars. 
to have uh, an operations plan, a financial plan, a people plan, and a marketing plan. And we've gotten with our team really, really specific um, in, in the same way that Continental did, where we've uh, defined key KPIs across all of those areas to say, if we can achieve these things, we'll be successful. And this is our roadmap for this year. Um, and uh, and we want the whole team to be out there and focused on it. And I'll give you like one one simple example of something that uh, uh, we've been, the team's been really focused on is ancillary revenue collection. I mean, I'll say that uh, through the winter and as distracted as we were, we were uh, just not focused on collecting ancillaries. And uh, um, we are really focused on it right now. And as you know, in, in the low cost model, that becomes critical. Uh, and uh, um, I was at, uh, the JP Morgan conference earlier this week and Barry Biffle was presenting from Frontier um, that uh, you know, they're at $82 right now ancillary with a goal of getting to 85 for this calendar year. Um, we've set a goal of $100, you know, and so if, um, if we can achieve that, I think we, I, I, I believe we will, um, we'll be number one in the world in ancillary collection as an example. And as you know, with the model, we can compete on on a very competitive low entry point base fare and then give people the choice of you know what other services they want to add on and that helps us from a competitive point of view to be successful um and uh, and helps to insulate us a little bit from uh you know from just direct base fare to base fare competition and it's the same thing that's been you know that has worked in in uh in short haul i think we can do in fact we are doing uh, on long haul but uh, from my own experience it, it takes work with the airport teams and everyone, just the discipline of actually enforcing those, you know, uh, the bag sizing and, and just collecting those fees for those who are out of compliance is not easy. It, you know, it just, it just takes a lot of effort. Oh, I can't imagine it would be, but also I'm not surprised that you'd be the highest in ancillary yeah, absolutely. collection. I mean, it's long haul, so there should be more opportunity. Yep. Seat fees can be higher, bag fees. Are, but are, are you doing anything that's particularly unique from an ancillary perspective or is it just the usual markers? Yeah, at this point, and this gets back to even why we're different from Norwegian and everything else. I mean, for us, I mean, it, 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 we're just trying to, we're not trying to reinvent the model in that sense. Let, let's just do the basics and and execute and implement them well, you know, and and, and better. So um, so our current ancillary, you know, structure is really, I mean, things you would, you would, you know, I mean, it, it's seats, it's carry-on bag, it's checked bag. We'll be adding an insurance product, uh, you know, quite soon. It, it's the usual, you know, buy on board food, you know, it's been doing very well for us. So you're exactly right. I mean, you know, and, and that's why I think if, uh, if, if the best in the world right now is at 82, and that's according to, uh, you know, the car troller, Jay Sorensen uh, surveys and, and, and focusing on getting to 85, um, we, you know, we are focused on trying to beat that. Yeah, and, and I think we can with our product and, and just the network, just the longer haul piece, but that, that's not easy, but, but, uh, but, but, you know, that, that is the goal. So, I mean, if, if you, you know, if it's, it, it sounds easy, right? It may not be easy, but it sounds easy. It's just do what everyone else is doing and do it right and do it for more money. Mm -hmm. But if it were that easy, you know, why would people like Michael O'Leary at Ryanair say long haul is terrible? Uh, and not want to do it. You know, what, what is it that you see? Well, listen, I mean, I, I think the difference um, is that, uh, you know, it's narrow body versus why it, it's do one thing, right? And, and, and I think that that's probably why um, you rightly were pointing out, you know, the challenges with Norwegian in the past of narrow body and wide body, long haul and short haul, and just, you know, multiple AOCs and growing very rapidly. And so I think, you know, for us, it's, it's a single fleet type. It's doing one thing and, and sticking to it. And, and being disciplined in that way and then not growing very, you know, uh, you know, uh, managing growth to a to a point that uh, um, we can sustain it, you know. So, so I think that I think that's the difference, you know, and then for Ryanair, 
we know what they do and it's it's short haul intra europe and uh, they do it very very well right now you do have multiple aocs now though right you have the the uk one we we have two um and uh you know and, and really you know it's kind of interesting it, it does add uh some complexity and challenges but we're not going to add more than two you know it um for for sure and and my mantra has been because you know even over a year with two aocs there are uh complexities which come with extra costs and so uh you know our mantra right now is let's not add any more complexity let's not add any more costs into the model then look to be you know stripping out and making things simpler uh, and less complex as we're able, but uh, but you know at this point with two AOCs, we we can certainly manage. And I think it's uh, I mean sadly, it, if there had not been Brexit, uh, we we could be operating with one AOC. But uh, you know with with the network we want, but the Brexit uh, uh, you know effort requires us to have two to to, to fly the network we want to have. Right, and it seems like with Norwegian, you know, they were playing a labor game in many different ways, uh, mm -hmm. the AOCs, the outsourcing of hiring and all that kind of stuff. Right. So has that not been an issue for you? I know that in the past we've seen Wiz get into fights in Norway about unionization and things like that. Um, you know, being a Norway company with a Norway AOC, is that not really been an issue then for you guys? Well, I mean, listen, you know, it, it's, it's funny. I mean, I, I'm not an expert on Norwegian, you know, itself. And of course, they're, they're still up and flying, you know, and operating now. But, uh, um, you know, I think you would find uh, that our approach has been very different. Uh, you know, so so we're, we're not outsourcing our flight crew. We hire them directly. Um, in fact, uh, you know, and on the U.S. side, we have a, a very large, uh, you know, round numbers, couple hundred flight attendants uh, based in JFK, hundred uh, flight attendants based in South Florida. Um, they are AFA represented. And, uh, you know, in fact, um, you know, we're quite happy to have that relationship. And uh, we've actually had, um, you know, Sarah Nelson um, put out press statements. You can go out and find, you know, being very supportive of Norwegian, you know, as an example. So, so I think we probably have learned perhaps, you know, it's just one more way that uh, um, we're not the same as Norwegian in that sense that we're hiring our own employees. We're, uh, uh, you know, we've got them under our own labor contracts and agreements. And, and you know, for us, the name of the game is just uh, um, utilize our people as efficiently and as effectively as we can. Um, and, you know, and I'll give I'll give you an example as Brett that it was was kind of a shock for me. Um, leg and this is different in Europe versus the U.S. Legacy European carriers give their crews three days off after they return home um, from a long haul trip. Right. Uh, so just not not good for utilization, um, not not certainly a low cost, long haul practice is going to work for us in terms of just being efficient with our people. And let, let's work them hard on the days they're, you know, when they're working and then they have plenty of time off, you know, and so if you have this guaranteed three days. It, it just it just hurts the productivity aspect. So um, so we're not doing that. And, and, we, and we stand out from a European long haul carrier perspective by not having that in our agreements. But uh, it becomes a win win in my mind for for employees in the company from a cost point of view. You had talked earlier about higher utilization being important, yep. uh, aircraft and crews, I suppose. But right. you know, ultimately, how do you do that? Because you're you're flying to the U.S., you're flying back. Uh, there's only so much you can do. Probably, is there anything you can do that really helps to to goose the utilization numbers? Uh, you know, the, the biggest thing we can do it gets into the network choice and strategy, and, and I was alluding to it before. Um, you know. It, with, with our winter schedule. So just give you, um, uh, with the aircraft utilization, there are a few things we can do, but we, we've set a goal 
of um, at least 14 hours utilization. And and uh, our, our, our schedule that's out for this summer, we will do, you know, across the whole fleet. And we can even bump it up. Uh, um, we're, we're up close to the 16-hour level. And that, that's including a spare, you know, as well to just, you know, ensure we will be reliable and then uh, back up uh, back up the, the the nine airplanes that are flying this summer with a spare so so utilization on the airplanes is relatively easy to do and I think we're we're happy with that on the crew efficiency side um, uh, the best way we can do it is 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 doing daily flights in markets and not flying markets that are for example two times a week because then you're stranding the crew in a hotel or or at least being smart about it you're doing two a week in one market and two a week here maybe pair it with another two a week, you know and, and, and you know, move the crews in and out uh, efficiently that way so that has been an eye opener I think for us and our teams uh, to just ensure that uh, I mean from a, from a, a network carrier perspective you build the network to maximize revenue. Um, and, and, and you don't worry about stranding crew for four or five days in a hotel. You know, it, it's a secondary concern. Whereas in, in this model, we've got to think about costs first and how do we build a network and a model that's as, as efficient as possible and not stranding crew in this, you know, in this instance to ensure we're efficiently using both, both assets, our people as well as the, uh, the airplane. So are there any numbers that you can share at all about the success so far or performance or anything that, that you're willing to park with? Yeah, well, listen, I mean, you know, I think that uh, um, we do put out, um, I mean, we're, we're publicly traded, so you can, you can find, you know, I mean, you know in, um, in investor releases we put out and so forth. And, you know, certainly uh, um, the winter, which is just ending, you know, officially, IATA winter, you know, ends uh, um, next weekend. Um, our results have not been great from a load factor point of view. I mean, we, we've been as low as 50, 50% from a load factor point. We've been doing a lot of charter work and so on. Um, but as I said, I feel like we were kind of fighting with one arm behind our back. We didn't have uh, um, all of our traffic rights. We now do, yeah, you know, from exam for example, to be able to fly from Gatwick to the U.S. We didn't have those permissions. Well, and, and it sounds like you also weren't flying the routes that you wanted to, to fly. Well, exactly. Well, it, it, yeah, it, it, yeah. I mean, it's sort of two sides of the same coin, you know, in that regard, right? We didn't have the traffic rights and we couldn't fly, we wanted to fly until we had the traffic rights pulled together and our OPSPEC from the FAA and so forth. So, I mean, look, I, I would say we've, uh, I mean, we, we, we've done um, reasonably well given those constraints. And, and now this summer is the really exciting summer for us. You know, we've been like setting, uh, as we loaded our Gatwick schedule out, um, we've had record sales like day after day. Um, so just, you know, we're Really, really happy about that and then like i said also now uh now that the summer network is done planning this winter uh, which which i'm really excited about you know truly just being different you know and setting it up and and what what i've said is and this i've you know lived this for my time uh in the business a lot it's 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 really easy uh i, I say it's easy it's sort of like the ancillary collection right to, to make money in the summer um North Atlantic. I mean, you know, but um, the way I put it to my team is we should be spending 10 months out of 12 focusing on the winter right? Because you, you, you will almost always as a network carrier, a North Atlantic carrier, lose money in those winter months. And so we need to be focused on that. Even just to break even in the winter, the model will work. And so I worry more about that, I guess, than I do even the competitive response, the cyclical aspect you talked about, which is real as well. But we need to, even in a strong demand environment, build a, a successful model and network for the coming winter. Well, I mean, that does make sense. I know when people would ask me, you know, as Norwegian was going with its long haul, are they going to make it? Say, well, if they make it to May, they'll make it to September. Right. 
health, right? But uh, yeah, it, we need to be uh, year-round sustainable, and, and and that's our goal. I mean, the other piece that we've we've uh, we, we've articulated uh, for our team again, we put lots of KPIs out. We've shared with our whole team um, is that we want our aspiration is to be profitable, and and like even by a buck would be acceptable, but to be break even, you know, uh, plus a dollar for the second half of this year. So July to December, you know, and so I, I don't worry about the third quarter. It's just how much do we give back in the fourth quarter, you know, in that regard. So, um, and and I'll tell you what, I mean, based on what we're seeing with demand trends and costs and, and you know, um, and, and what's in our control, uh, I, I feel optimistic about that. I think it actually is a realistic ambition to have. Well, I guess we'll have to check in with you again in about a year and see how it goes. In six months. Yeah. Well, 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 actually, six months will be at the end of the summer. So I'll be very. <laughs> yeah. You'll be feeling fine then. <laughs> it's, all right. So soon we will see this winter schedule. Then we'll we'll judge then to see what that looks like. But, um, you know, best of luck with it. You, you Someone's got to be the first, I suppose. So. Absolutely. <laughs> Hey, I, you know, it, it's uh, we've got the building blocks that, that you know, that does not uh, in any way mean that it's going to be easy. And I think our team know that. Right. But uh, um, we're up for the challenge and and, uh, and and we've had a lot of lessons to learn from, you know, I'd say, you know, in that regard. So uh, so, I mean, all that's positive from my point of view. So will North Atlantic be the first to make low cost long haul work? Charles is certainly feeling pretty good about the airline's chances, but then again, he is the president, so you'd hope he would. Once he's able to make some big network changes, we'll be able to get a better sense. We'll see where it goes, but history suggests this won't be easy. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. Until next time.